Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the declining uh, thermometer. Thank you for um, just a building um, full of life and people. Jesus, we come here tonight, um, and I want to acknowledge some of the places that we are. Some of us are happy to be here. Some of us are wrestling with who you are and if we believe in you. Some of us are um, just having a hard time even holding it together in our head. Um, We're just in a lot of different places, but we ask that you would honor our presence here, that you would have grace on us, um, that you would help us to hear truth and to hold on to it and to be encouraged. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that as we listen, that you would continue to work in us to transform us. Um, And we thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross and raising from the dead and giving us hope. And uh, I just ask you to bless our words tonight. Amen. Um, So we just finished up a relationship series where we were talking about relationships. And uh, we're in a, I think, four-week series uh, on the village a little bit of just who we are and what we're doing. Um, Next week, I think I'm going to actually practice my conference talk on you guys so you can you know, give me feedback and all that kind of stuff and say, that was dumb, why are you doing that? That's, here, you should do this. Um, but we're, we're going to talk about the village. Now, those of you who have been um, here for a while, uh, I, I'll hopefully try to say some new things. And those of you who haven't been here for a while, hopefully it'll all be new. Um, but in five weeks, I believe it is, we're going to have our belonging service. And our belonging service happens every year, and there are two ways to belong at the village. One way is you sign the covenant, which is just a statement of beliefs uh, that are based on the Apostles' Creed. But really what you're doing when you sign that is you're saying, hey, I'm going to stay here for a year. This is the community I'm giving my money to, going to put my time into. This is the place where I want the leaders to invest, and I'm going to invest. But others of you, we know you can't say that. You love this community, but you're not sure you're connected with Jesus. You just don't know if you even want to do this membership thing. But you know you belong. Well, we have these creative art things. Um, so like we did, we all designed letters. Uh, few, last year we did puzzle pieces. Uh, if you wander around the building, you'll find weird and odd art projects. That would be how we belonged that year. Sometimes they don't even make sense. Um, and sometimes they have dental floss on them. They're, they're really cool. Um, but this year we're kind of doing a retake on what we've done before. Is we're going to next week hand you out a little tile, a little square white tile. And you, each person in your family can have one or one can represent your whole family. But you'll get to do something on that tile, glue things to it, draw on it, design something on it. Now, I would suggest that you do it with Sharpie because it's going to be outside. Um, so we're going to, you're all going to bring your little designed tile, and then we're, during the service, all going to walk out to the garden, and somebody will be there with a, you know, a gun, a glue gun kind of thing, and they'll put the glue on it and stick it on there, um, and we'll put it all over the bricks of the garden. And so we'll kind of tile the garden. And that was uh, that came to us from the McConnell clan, and they uh, and we're like, great, we don't have to think about one because somebody <laughs> figured it out for us. So after like being doing this for 16 years, it's it's difficult to come up with 
uh, ones that we don't repeat. But anyway, we invite you into that, to be part of that. Covenants and things will be out next week so you can read over them. If you don't understand belonging, you can talk to people and they'll explain it to you. But tonight, I just want to talk a little bit about the village and some of the ideas that, are, that uh, kind of resonate with me and the why I'm here and, and kind of why I'm doing this. Um, so what I want to do is just start in Galatians chapter 6. And as I, sometimes I'll just sit down and go and listen to some of my old sermons or I'll look at just parts of my old journals. And Galatians 6 always shows up in the early parts of my journals. And when I looked at this verse, the, or the first three verses, it, it always reminds me of what I think the church is all about. It's the thing that gets me excited. And so when you hear it, you might think, Eric, how is that possibly something that gets you excited? But it gets me excited. So let me just read Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, and Paul writes this. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burden, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When I read those three verses, I think this is what the church is about. This is what I long to be. This is what I think the village has tried for 16 years to be, and that is this description here. So this verse begins with, if someone is caught in sin. And the picture that you get of that is maybe like caught in a spider web or entangled in a fishing line or something. You think they're caught in it. But if you read Galatians 6, all of it, you find out that he's using farming metaphors. And so there are, there are two things here. First, remember, when we talk about sin, we're talking about it's not the way it's supposed to be. Anything that's not the way it's supposed to be, that's sin. If you are caught in something that's not the way it's supposed to be, you're caught in sin. But here's the first picture I want you to think about. It's not so much being caught in, in a net or in a spider web as every night, you're a farmer, you go out and you pick up a rock, and this is during the time when you're not plowing your field, and you go stick it in your field. And every night you do that. And then when it comes time to plow your field, in the day, you walk up to your field after three months of putting one single rock in the field, and all your friends come around and they say, why are all these rocks in your field? Because you've been putting them there every night. And so the idea is like, oh, wow, I have rocks in my field. So it's sort of like, if someone is caught with a bunch of rocks in their field that they've been putting in their field for a long time, It's that kind of sense of that picture. It says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. There's two two ideas here. Number one, when you hear that, you think, oh, okay, only the mature people should restore people, right? That's you who live by the Spirit. Obviously, the person putting the rocks in the field, caught in the sin, they're they're not the person living by the Spirit. But the reality is, earlier in Galatians, Paul talks about how he confronted Peter. Peter's like the dude, right? If there ever was the dude, for those of you who know that reference, it was Peter, okay? And Paul's like, I had to confront him. So the reality is, is that all of us are people who live by the Spirit, and all of us have places in our life where we've been at night putting the boulder in our field. We all have fields full of boulders, and all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, have the Spirit. The key to this is 
you should store that person gently. So, in the morning, when you see the person caught in their sin, when you see whatever it is that they're struggling with, if your first thing is to tell them what to do and judge them for what they've done, you're not the person to restore them gently, right? You're not living by the Spirit. The way you know that you're living by the Spirit is that when you're confronted with somebody's brokenness, their sin, their choices, and you have compassion, then you're the person called to step into their life and help them take the stones out of their field, okay? But it says that you need to watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Now, in the last few sermons, I've talked about how sin kind of has three aspects, right? One aspect of sin is it's a disruption of you, right? It's just a, it disrupts who you are. It's a distortion of who you are. It's not really you. Like, it's, we're all born into sin. There's a brokenness that we're born into. Sin's also something that's a constant distraction, right? So it's always coming available. And third, it's something that disturbs us, right? So these are these D words, disturb, distract, disrupt, distort, those ideas. When you begin to help somebody, walk along somebody, begin to offer them compassion as they struggle with things, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get pulled into those things. So there has to be a soberness. If you read in other places in Scripture, Paul and and other apostles are always saying, be sober-minded, right? Be aware of what's happening as you step into these things. Then he gives us a second metaphor that's kind of all in this context of farming. He says, carry each other's burdens... And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Well, the law of Christ is love God with everything and love your neighbor. Okay? So it's not just the pebbles. The other right picture that he's trying to draw here is as if you had a big field and you woke up in the morning and there's a gigantic boulder in your field. And you're like, uh-huh. Well, I don't know how that boulder got there. And then a bunch of your friends are standing around the boulder going, hmm, you got a big boulder in your field. Yep, uh-huh. And then somebody's like, all right, look, we're going to need to get a trailer. Okay, well, we're going to need to wedge things under here. Okay. So this is the picture, I think, of what the church is, is that as you and I come, we come with, one, the knowledge that we do have these things in us. We, are, we have these choices that we've made. We're, we're liars. Our, our sexuality is broken. We're, we are people who covet things. Right? We could go on down the list. We, we have fields full of stones. We have big boulders. But this verse invites us into each other's life. And that's what gets me excited about the, the village. Now, let me just tell you a story that maybe illustrates this better. I, when we, I moved into the Seneca house, which I live in a big community house. I've lived there for 20 years. But when we first bought the house, it had these date palm trees. And one zombie palm tree, okay? For those of you who know anything about palm trees. One day a guy came up to our house early on and said, we'll pay you $500 for each of your date trees, your date palm trees, because apparently they want them in Las Vegas. So we're like, $500 for four trees, well, that's $2,000. And he said, hey, we'll give you trees for every spot that we take your tree out. I'm like, sweet, this is a great deal. How about the zombie palm tree? No, we're not taking that. 
a zombie palm tree is just this very tall palm tree that has little fronds on top of it. And, and people drive by your house and they knock on the door and they say, for 40 bucks, I'll tri- trim your palm tree. <laughs> That's this palm tree. You know, they're, they're annoying. They're ugly. They don't give you any shade. They're useless and tall. Okay. So one day some guy comes and knocks on the door and says, hey, I give you $40 to get rid of the palm tree. Now, the Seneca house, which would be my wife and I and Keith and Julie, who you got to hear last week talk, um, we didn't like the palm tree, but we didn't know how to get rid of the palm tree. So the guy comes and says, can you trim it? Can he trim it for 40 bucks? And I said, well, I don't want it trimmed. I want it to go away. But I don't know how to get rid of it. He said, well, for $75, I'll get rid of it. And 15 minutes later, they shimmied up the tree and cut it into a whole bunch of little pieces and chopped it up and stuck it in a truck, and it was gone. Just like that. Boom. The palm tree was gone. We still have the stump, but we put a hill over the stump. But a lot of ways, when I think about the burden that we're to carry and just that example, like it, it is the palm tree I cannot get rid of that I'm bringing to you guys to help cut down. That's, that's kind of where we're at. Now, that's all in good, and they're fun pictures and metaphors, but you and I, like, how do we do that? How do we go about helping each other in our brokenness and our sin? Well, the first idea, I think, is that we have to center ourselves in God's love. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me repeat that. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when you and I were in the midst of being, putting the little rocks in the field, figuring, trying to figure out how to get the boulder out of our life, Christ died for us. So here's what sin does to you, though. Just so you understand why when, when God dies, what, what it what it does, what Jesus' death and resurrection does. The first thing that sin does, it makes you numb and it makes you dumb, right? Numb and dumb in the sense that when it comes to the beauty of God's holiness. And what I mean by that is that as we kind of live out our life in, in repetitive sin, what happens is our conscience gets like seared. It gets distorted. And so we have no real sense of who God is and what he's doing. We're just kind of like a zombie palm tree in some ways. But the second thing that happens to us as we are caught up in our sin or the effects of sin is that it it isolates us. Because you know what? Sin is something that most often we do in secret. It's not something we do in public. It's things that we don't want people to know about. You know, we don't put the rock in the field in the morning. We put it there in night when nobody sees us putting the rock in there. Um, so it isolates us from people. So we're not in community with each other. And as it isolates us, it's not just that it isolates us. The third thing is that what we don't realize, because we're doing it in secret and we're doing it dark, is that it has an impact on everybody else. Right? When I lie, even if I lie to one of you, it still has an impact on my wife. Like It's not just the person I lie to. It's all of us. There's something very deeply powerful about us willfully choosing to turn our backs on God. So if you have that picture in your mind, when we think about the love of Jesus, 
What we have to anchor ourselves in is in the midst of us being numb and dumb and isolated and harming one another, Jesus died for us. He died for us. He took the consequence of our sin. That's how he expressed his love. How do we know what love is? Because Christ died for us. He gave himself for us. Right? I was reflecting on that, and I thought, man, if my son came along and said, man, Eric, you're messed up, and, and you're, you know, you're in a lot of trouble, and it's going to probably mean that you're going to need to die, I'm going to go do that for you instead of you. Just that idea would devastate me. Like, I, I, that is, like to give your life for someone is a powerful expression of love. So the God of the universe says, even though you're kind of caught up in your sin, I'm going to die for you. So we have to anchor ourselves to God's love. But if we're anchoring ourselves to God's love as we step into people's lives, we also have to be people who practice God's forgiveness or the forgiveness of God. We have to be practicers of forgiveness. Psalm 32 says, When I keep silent, my bones waste away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So David the psalmist says, I was weighed down by my sin and the thing that delivered me from all of it was for me to actually confess it, to speak it out, to say what it is. Now a lot of times what you hear people in church do or when we're wanting to deal with somebody's burden, we're like, okay, here's what you need to do. You hear step one, step two, step three, we'll get your boulder out of your field right? We're very instructional people. Repentance is what we want. You need to turn from everything. But you know what? You can't turn. Repentance is something that God does in you. But confession is something that you do. I have the power to say, this is my sin. This is what it is. This is its impact on me. And this is important. To step into healing, to step in, you have to be someone who confesses. Because even though we're forgiven because of Christ's death, there is a power to experience that forgiveness after you've spoken it out loud. Right? Because what it does is it brings you from pride, this is my secret thing, I'm going to keep it, to speaking it out in public, and that brings you to humility. Right? But the other thing about confessing your sin and encouraging people to confess their sin is that in our culture, we have this big idea that we should all forgive ourselves. Right? That's the, the hope. Like That's what's going to make things better, is you need to forgive yourself. You can't forgive yourself. You didn't create yourself. You can't do it. Try. Try real hard because you'll forgive yourself and the next day you'll feel guilty and shameful for whatever it is you did. The only place that we can get forgiveness is from the one who created us. And so when we confess, what we're saying is, I will no longer look in the mirror at myself and say, oh, what a beautiful image I have. Instead, I will look and say, this is who I am. And now, God, I will look at you and say, I want to bear your image. Here's my brokenness. It's a moving from pride to humility. 
So if we anchor ourselves in love and we're people who practice confession, then the third thing that we need to do is we need to be people who live in the healing of Christ. As we help each other, we have to be people who emphasize the healing of Christ. 1 Peter 2, 24 and following says this, speaking of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. In order to move into Christ's healing, you and I have to be people who actually are people of grief. People who mourn. The reality is, is that sin has impact. And that impact is death. When you lie, part of you dies. When When you do any kind of sin, there's a part of you that dies. And so, Part of grabbing hold of the healing of Christ is to be somebody who is willing to mourn over the death in your life, over the impact of sin. So it's not just confessing and say, when I lied, when I did this thing, here it is, this is what I did, but it's when when I did this, things died. People were hurt. Something died in me. Right? There's a grief, but it's not just the grief in that. It's the grief that it caused wounds to Jesus. There is a mourning and a grief that we have to do together. That's how we get the boulders out, is that we actually cry and weep over the brokenness when, we're, when we confess our sin to one another. The helplessness and the joy of what Christ has done. But the second part of that is it's not just that we grieve it, but that we, part of practicing the healing of Christ is being willing to be healed through the joy of Christ. So it's not just that Christ's wounds healed us, but he made it that we can live in righteousness. And, and there's a relief to that. So there's a mourning of the death, but there's a relief to knowing that Christ has healed us or is in the process of doing that and has given us righteousness. Let me, let me explain it this way. I told the story a few weeks ago, but when I first got married, I was working at the hospital, and my driver's license had expired. I had paid my insurance, but it wasn't in my car, and I think the registration was six months past due, and I'm driving this car around, right? And I got pulled over by the police, and I told that story. But the thing that... um, I had to do after that was I had to go to the DMV, which is kind of like going to Purgatory or Dante's Inferno or something like that, right? It's it's one of the levels of hell. But you go into the DMV, and actually across from me was this lovely, you know, African-American woman. She's probably in her 50s, and she looks at me like this, and she's like, and she just starts shaking her head. She's like, you're going to have to take your driver's test, both written and in the car. And I was like, What? (laughs) she's like well it's just that you've not had your driver's license for so long it was like two years because i just let it expire it was weird because i got my license and i don't i don't even know how it all happened i (laughs) this was uh in the mid 90s um so and then she must have seen that my face just like 
I didn't know what was going to happen. And she, she says, well, you know, I can fix it. And she types it in and, and she just, I made it. And then she, I think she said something like, I made it like you just, you know, it was only been a few weeks since it's been expired. And, and so, uh, and she, I just felt like, you know, it's like you're sweating and then all of a sudden your, your clothes are just drenched and you're like, this is the best feeling ever, right? Like you're just like, <gasps> but that's, but that is what the healing of Christ is like in the sense that you're in the DMV going, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Everything that I have done. And then this lovely middle-aged woman says, I can take care of it. And, and there's joy, right? And I, I don't mean to minimize the cross of Jesus, but there is this, this power that, that like there is a weightiness that we need to be able to sit in but there's also a joy of being delivered from it. And that's what we have to practice. We have to anchor ourselves to the love of Christ. We have to be people who practice the forgiveness of Christ by confessing our sin um, and allowing Christ, someone who is outside of us, to forgive us. But then we must practice the healing. Fourth, we have to practice the comfort of God. 2 Corinthians first or 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says this, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I like that it says that it's in all of our troubles. God, through his healing, through his forgiveness, offers us comfort. And yet the call is that you and I become the instruments of that comfort to one another. So that when we see someone f- with a field full of rocks, right, we're, we're able to offer comfort because we know what it's like to have that field full of rocks. But what this word often is translated as, in, in English is not comfort, but courage. It's that God gave us courage in all our troubles and we're to give courage to one another. Let me just give you a picture of that because this is what I think of when I think of this verse. This uh, summer we went on vacation um, and we went up to Vail in Colorado to this person's home who remodeled the lower level of their home for pastors and their wives and families to just stay there for free as long as they want so we went up there for four or five days and it was lovely it was like it just was a beautiful thing but during that time they invited us sue and i up after the kids had gone to bed to hear about us because they wanted to pray for us so they just started asking us questions now this um they were pastors and then professors uh in fact she is the professor of, at the same school that uh, Steve Yakely went to. What school did you go to, Steve? Yeah, she's a professor there, or was. But anyway, they've been pastors for a long time. And so they're asking questions, and they know the kinds of questions to ask. And by the time they're done asking all these questions, like, we're crying. Like, we're just like, everything is blah, 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 blah. Right? I don't know. It's just a very emotional thing. Um, and so they, they started praying for us. And at the end of that prayer, of their time of praying for us, 
the pastor, and he's got to be in his 70s, he just breaks out and sings this old hymn over us, like unexpectedly. And he just, in kind of his shaky voice, he sings over us. And like, I just wept like a baby. Like, it was like the most powerful thing because it was as if, like, he had taken the comfort that God had given him and laid it on us. And it was just really powerful. And we left very like, hey, we're going back to the village. We love those people, right? Um, We needed that. It was... But I think what requires us to, to... be willing to taste that ourselves to be able to offer it to one another and to articulate that and practice that. But if we're going to anchor to love, if we're going to practice forgiveness, if we're going to live in the healing of Christ and offer the comfort of God, all of that has to kind of flesh itself out in the family of God. In 1 Corinthians thirteen or 10.13, it says, No temptation is overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it now there's a moment in jesus's life when his family is looking for him and they're trying to get him because they think he's crazy and so people say, hey, your parents are looking for you. Your mom's looking for you. Your brothers. And he says, who's my brothers? And then he looks around, these are my brothers. And he goes on to say that like, when you enter into the kingdom of God, you get a really big family. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but you get a really big family. And here's the thing. When I think about the village, and I think about the church, it's that, you know that way of escape? It's us. We're the way of escape. The community of God is the way of escape. So no temptation sees you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He's going to give you a way of escape. Guess what it is? It's us. We're the way of escape. All the crazy uncles, all the crazy aunts, all the nephews, all the weird ones, all the not weird ones, right? We're all it. Moms and dads and grandpas. Like, this is the way of escape. But it's not just... When you think about family, what it is is sitting down and eating dinner together on a regular basis, right? It's sinking into a couch. There's a reason this place is a house because the way of escape is hospitality. The way that you and I in a world of loneliness can survive is that we come into our big family every single week, that we sit with each other in our homes every single week, that there's hospitality is what gives us hope because it's the place where you find out where people had rocks in their garden. There's no way for me to know the rocks in your fields if you're not around. And I can hunt you down a whole bunch, but after a while, if you don't want to be with people, you won't want to be with me. Like part of the church is to say, you're burdened, you're tempted, This is the place. This is your family. This is where things are going to change. This is how it's going to change. So when I think about the village and and just my invitation for you as you think about belonging to the village is that this is not a church where you're going to have a lot of happy-go-lucky friends. 
Sorry. If you were looking for that, it's probably not going to happen here. We talk way too much about sin. You'll hear it a lot. And how and we walk with each other in that. We talk about the burdens that we bear and how we need to help each other with that. But So if you want a big family where you're going to have to sit next to the uncle who drives you nuts, come to the village. Because there's a joy in sitting next to him and watching kids bounce all over the place. Right? There, it, it's transformative to see God's kingdom, his family, his house growing and changing. It challenges you. You experience it in a deep, healing way. So, my invitation is over the next few weeks for you to consider or reconsider, say, okay, this is my community. This is the place where I'm going to have my rocks and boulders removed and I'm going to join other people in removing those things. And I would, I would invite you to be like, okay, this is the place that's going to be very vulnerable and very exposing and it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable, but, but it will be transformative and you will find Jesus. I, I guarantee it. If you come and throw yourself into the village, you will find Jesus and you will find healing. But it won't always be easy. So, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for the village. Thank you for these guys. I just ask that you would bless our time together as we sing, as we take communion, and as we um, eat together. Lord, I just ask that you would give us eyes to see one another and grace and gentleness to come along each other in peace and give us the courage to confess our sin. And ask that in your holy name. Amen.